We uh, have been in this series called 10. You can see up here on the banners. And the very first couple weeks, we learned how to use our 10 fingers to remember the 10 commandments. So is everybody ready? Why don't you hold up all 10 fingers? And this one, you start with all 10 fingers. We're on number eight today. And uh, you take away two. You take away your pinky fingers. Now, this is a little tough because your ring fingers want to go down, okay? So here we go. Take away two, okay? Right? Okay, a little more practice. Take away two, right? And uh, what's this commandment? You shall not steal. That's right. That's why you take away two. You still have eight, okay? So um, we're going to look at that today. The message title is called Honor Others' Property, and we're looking at Exodus 20.15. Now, uh, if you would, if uh, you would open your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 19, we're going to actually look at an account in the New Testament, even though this verse is found in the Old Testament. And I want to ask you if you'd mark that place. We're going to come back to it later in the message. And we're going to see how Jesus helps a thief be set free. And uh, we're going to look at that today. And we're going to try and understand the Eighth Commandment. But before uh, we look at the front of the notes, do you mind looking at the back of the notes with me? If you haven't been with us, we've been learning that these ten aren't by accident, that God knew exactly what he was doing, and the first four teach us how we're to relate to God, and the last six teach us how we're to relate to others, to our neighbors. T.D. Jakes says, if you don't have a right relationship with God, you will not have a right relationship with life. If you and I don't learn how to relate first rightly to God, then we won't be able to relate rightly to people. But when we learn those things together, God can really work in our lives. And so, but when we hear commandments, we think restrictions. We think, oh, it's just not, all the fun goes out. But what we've been learning about the Ten Commandments is that's not true at all, that God actually gave these in love. If you'd read that sentence there at the bottom of the notes there on the back, let's read that sentence together. God's boundary lines are a gift, and honoring them leads to greater freedom. So the question is, how does you shall not steal lead to freedom? How does that work? Well, if you turn your notes over on the other side, I want to just ask you, before we start filling those in, how many of you, uh, just a straw poll here, how many of you have ever been robbed or had something stolen from you that belonged to you? I mean, that's almost all of us. You know, if you've ever had that happen, you know why God gave the Eighth Commandment. It is so, ah, in fact, if you've ever had someone stolen, you know, I, I knew a guy that had his house broken into once, and he said, I got to thinking to myself, whoever did this, even if they know me, they don't like me, they definitely don't love me, or they don't give a flying leap about me. See, because stealing is like that. I, I heard of a store owner that once put this sign outside his store that said, this property is protected by a pit bull with AIDS. <laughs> he was just trying to say, look, you know, I'm serious. But why does God give us the Eighth Commandment? In part, we just saw that there's something about learning how to feel the weight of our neighbor's worth. To understand that, we, that he wants us to look at him and, and other people differently. So if you're following along... Behind the Eighth Commandment is this idea. God loves our neighbors, 
and wants us to love them too. God loves our neighbors and wants us to love them too. If you look up here at the screen, Romans 13, 9 and 10, look at what it says here. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be that God has given us are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said the entire law hangs on these two. Then he said what's often called the golden rule. You shall do unto others, right, as you want them to do to you. Let that be the measurement of your action. Did I just lose sound there? So think about that. Um, Now, if you're following along, here's what I, I hope you'll see, is that the Eighth Commandment does not prohibit acquiring property. Some of you know that Marxism, communism, socialism, it teaches that property belongs to the state. It belongs to the community. Therefore, it doesn't belong to you individually. Capitalism, which we live in a country ruled by capitalism, says everything that you have is yours and it's nobody else's. Christianity teaches different than both. It says everything you and I have belongs to God. It comes from God and it's on loan to us and we're to be caretakers of it. Therefore, when you and I break the Eighth Commandment, we sin against God because we take His stuff and we also sin against His decision to give that to somebody. We take away their opportunity to be caretakers. But you know, Tim Keller actually says something else that I think is very helpful. Listen to what he says. We are built to have things to take care of. There is no human dignity, there is no real being made in the image of God unless you have a piece of the world to care for. Dignity comes as you have something to care for. That's why one of the things that's so hard about being poor is that you don't have something to care for in the most dire situations. I've seen people in the Philippines take sheet metal, pieces of wood, whatever they can find to build a house so they can say, that belongs to me. And when those things get taken away, friends, so part of what's in the Eighth Commandment is God says, look, I am not against property. Property, every person has some property so they can, in dignity, care for that with me. And that just helped me a lot. But here's why we need this message. We need this message for two reasons. One, we live in a materialistic society that goes way past saying that property can be a way of experiencing dignity. And instead, we live in a society that now believes that property becomes our definition. It defines me. Ask kids if wearing the right shoes or the right clothes is important in our culture nowadays. Ask adults if driving a certain car or living in a certain neighborhood or having a certain title, you know, with the property that comes with that. Oh my goodness. Now God says that's not true. We saw a few weeks ago the reason we have value is we're made in the image of God. That's where our dignity comes from. But if we let property define us and we live in a materialistic society that tells us that lie every day, Some of us go, well, it's not a big deal for me. Well, you must be amazing. 
Because I got to tell you, I feel its hooks in me all the time. And God knows that. And he knows that we're going to be tempted to look at other people's property as a way to increase our value or our definition. So he puts these boundaries around it. The other reason we need this commandment is because God knows us better than we know ourselves and he knows that we honestly are tempted. And he wouldn't give us this command unless it was a real temptation. And so he wants us to understand such a different perspective. So what are some acceptable ways to acquire property? One, honest labor. Two, wise investing. Three, gifts that might be given to us from time to time. And four, trusting prayer. Honest labor, wise investing, gifts, and trusting prayer. How many of us are here this morning that can look back and say there was a time when we cried out to God we were doing everything we could, you know, to be responsible, but we needed him to provide, and he did, and praise his name. Now, God says that that's fine to acquire property that way, but what we're going to talk about today is unacceptable ways to acquire property. You shall not steal. In fact, would you say those four words with me? You shall not steal. You just memorized the Bible verse. You're doing better than you think. Now, what I want to do is we're going to come back to that passage in Luke 19 a little bit, but first I want to talk about what understanding number eight can mean. You see, I, most of us do not think that we break the eighth commandment. I had a buddy tell me this week, he said, well, this will only take five minutes for you to talk about this one. And what he meant was it's so straightforward, so clear, right? Everybody understands this one. But the more that I understand number eight, the more I realize how I have not only violated number eight, but I've missed the point of number eight. And so it's helped me to understand it better. The second thing is, I want to look at a real-life account where a guy named Zacchaeus meets Jesus and what Jesus teaches him. Because what Jesus teaches Zacchaeus is what he wants to teach us. And therefore, we can walk out of here today putting this into practice, number eight, and really understand the reason why it can make us free. So I want to just pray, and then we'll dig in, okay? Lord, um, you know that I, I want to be as much of a learner as anybody in this room even this morning while I was getting ready, you showed me some ways that I need to take you more seriously and my neighbor's property more seriously. And so I pray that as um, we look at your word, that your word would be living and active, powerful than any two-edged sword, would show us what's really in our hearts so that we can walk in your ways. And I pray again uh, that as you speak to us, that we'll know exactly what you want us to do and we'll have the courage to do it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so um, understanding number eight. If you um, are looking at your notes, the word steal, the actual commandment is not four words. In Hebrew, it's actually two, no stealing. And uh, the word there is actually uh, ganaf, and it means to secretly carry away something to acquire someone else's property unlawfully. Now, if you're looking for the definition, here it is. To steal means to take or keep what doesn't belong to me. To take or keep what doesn't belong to me. Here's another reason we need this message. The boundary lines have gotten blurred. It used to be real clear what belonged to me and what belonged to someone else. But nowadays, there's all kinds of stuff going on where people like go, is that even wrong anymore? I don't think that's a big deal. And so the boundary lines are are blurred. What, What belongs to me and what doesn't? Listen to this. 
The fairy tale princess story turns sour after newlyweds lose money. So read the headlines of the Daily Herald in Chicago. A newlywed couple had left a black zippered bag on the roof of their car as they sped away from the reception to begin their honeymoon. The case had all their wedding gift money in it, $12,000. By the time they reached their destination, it was gone. It had fallen off the roof. According to the bride, upon realizing what had happened, she said, I feel numb. That's a good word for it. Overwhelmed. But two days later, the same newspaper carried headlines to a related story. Finders keepers? Not all believe it. David G., an unemployed suburban resident, had come upon the black bag with the $12,000 cash in it. In spite of his mounting bills and being out of a job, he didn't keep any of the money. Tracking the couple down, he returned the full amount. When asked why he turned it all in, he said, I guess it doesn't matter whether it's $50 or $1,000 or a million dollars. It doesn't belong to you. Mind if I read that again? It doesn't belong to you, he said. Hmm, that sounds so weird today, doesn't it? Upon investigation, the media discovered that David Yee was consistent with his overall character. David had found $50 the year before and turned in it, in it, it in as well. When offered jobs because of the exposure of this story he received, Yee said he would only consider jobs he was qualified for. He felt that accepting a managerial position for which he was unequipped was dishonest. It doesn't belong to you. And nowadays, that kind of story blows us away. It should not. It should be common. God's boundary lines are clear. But we struggle with it, don't we? We feel the tension of that. To take or keep what doesn't belong to me, that's stealing, the Bible says. And so again, I know my buddy said it only take you know, five minutes. Let me just say that there's at least three major ways we can steal. And I hadn't thought about these in a while, but, but I want to mention them. If you're following along, here we go. The first is by seizure. By seizure. Taking and also long-term borrowing. Borrowing in quotation marks. Taking or robbing and long-term borrowing saying, you know, I'll pay it back. I'm just going to take it for a little while. It never gets paid back. Seizing something that belongs to somebody else. You can do it with a gun, or you can do it secretly. By deception is the second one, which means cheating and acquiring dishonestly. Cheating and dealing or acquiring something dishonestly. As some of us know that, again, in businesses sometimes, they used to have scales and so they would make rigged scales so they could charge more. It was deceptive. It was dishonest. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. The third way is by withholding. Keeping what's due. By withholding. Keeping what's due. In other words, it means holding back what's rightfully owed to somebody, what reasonably, they reasonably are, are expecting to receive. Look here at Deuteronomy 24, if you would, here on the screen. God says this, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether the worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Now here's how it worked in those days. You paid them each day. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. He says, don't 
Don't steal by withholding. If you owe something, come on. That is just as wrong as actually ripping it out of their house. Come on. So those three ways. Years ago, when I was listening to someone talk about this, he just walked through a list. He said, let me just give you some more specific examples. And he said, if you have the courage to do so, I want to ask you if you'd listen and see if the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience or shows you something that maybe you'd never thought about or forgot. So let me just do something similar to that. First, have you ever stolen something by seizure or long-term borrowing? What's not yours? All of us know that armed robbery, burglary, looting are clearly prohibited. But what about shoplifting? Many stores factor in 25% price increases due to this. In other words, we have such a problem with this in our country that stores know that if they don't factor that in, it's just going to be very, they're going to have huge losses. And uh, they estimate that, again, three to four people out of ten walk in a store and lift something. They decide, well, that, I want that. That's mine. And their conscience doesn't even seem to bother them sometimes. But what about employee theft? This comes a little closer to home. You work eight hours for eight hours pay. You make personal phone calls. Use company supplies, stamps, pens, personal copies from the copy machine. Again, the research has shown that three out of four people in the United States have committed employee theft. They wouldn't call it that, but they've committed employee theft. That means that it's actually more dangerous who you hire than who walks in your store. That means that nowadays there is stuff going out the door at huge rates. Many estimate at least $200 billion in losses a year by employee theft alone. White collar crime costs 10 times more than any of the drug-related crimes. Most of us think the blue collar crime is a big problem in our, our country related to drugs and guns. It's white collar crime, 10 times worse as far as the losses. And yet only a slap on the wrist for the educated and more affluent in society because after all, it just is different, isn't it? It's not. What about hotel towels? A few years ago I did a message on this and a person in our church said, the whole time I grew up, every time I reached for a towel, it always said Holiday Inn. <laughs> she was totally serious. Said my parents said, hey, we paid for this room. This is ours. It's not. Oh, I read of one hotel that said that in the first year of business, they had 335 coffee makers stolen, 18,000 tiles, and 38,000 spoons. Must be a real run on spoons these days or something. <laughs> oh, by the way, 100 Bibles. Hope it helped them. But that's just commonplace. Hospitals, hotels public places. Hey, they're big. They won't miss it. Vandalism. Defacing other people's property so that it loses its value or becomes unusable. It is epidemic and it's stealing. Plagiarism and cheating. Taking an author or a student's work and pretending it's mine. Copyright theft. Have you ever illegally copied software, music, movies, or books, have you pirated those without paying for them so that the people that made them lose their royalties? 
Most people estimate that maybe 50% of the software used in the United States has been paid for legally. And I don't even want to know what music is like. Long-term borrowing, books, tapes, CDs, paintbrushes, ladders, punch bowls. Did you truly borrow them or they quietly claim them as yours? Like if we were to walk in your garage or step into your closet, would there be anything you go about? What about deception? Dealing dishonestly. The Bible says God hates cheating in the marketplace. Rigged scales are an outrage to him. What about falsified insurance claims? What about false advertising as a company offering something you're not really supplying? What about calling in sick when you're not sick? What about doctoring the scales? It's the mechanic padding a bill. It's the doctor insisting on unnecessary prescriptions or surgeries. It's the salesperson telling a half-truth in order to get the sale. It's stealing, and it's greed, and God detests it. We steal, lastly, by withholding what rightfully belongs to another. What about child support? Delinquent payments are epidemic in the United States. Income taxes, hiding income, fudging the numbers. Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. Hitting a car and not reporting it. Failing to leave a note with a phone number or even attempting to. Here's one. What happens when the clerk in the checkout line gives you more money back than you have due? And you keep it. God says that's stealing. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Intentional debt. This has become really popular. People use credit cards or credit. And they rack up all kinds of experiences and opportunities they never intend to pay back. Or they know they're going to claim bankruptcy, so they run up the bills, leaving the merchants to hold the bag and saying, I deserve it. What about this last one? God says, you can rob him. Malachi 3.8, how do we rob you, God says, in your tithes and offerings? He said, when I gave you all the money you have, it all belongs to me. But I said, the first 10% in any offerings I prompt your heart to give, you're returning those. You're not giving it. You're returning it to me. It belongs to me. When you hold on to it, you're robbing me. And you're under a curse. The whole nation of you, he says, because you've robbed me that way. And oh, wow, that's caused a lot of us just to say, wow, I forgot that belongs to you, Lord. There's a lot of things like that. Did anything come to your heart and mind? Did you find yourself saying, well, what do I do? Follow along in the notes. Here's another thing we learned about number eight, is that just two chapters later, in Exodus 22, we see that God requires restitution, if you're following along, to pay back with interest. To pay back with interest. God requires restitution. Look here on the screen, if you would, at these verses. Exodus 22.1 says, whoever steals an ox or a sheep, anybody want to exhale? <laughs> Don't have any of those. And slaughters it or sells it, must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. It's obviously talking to a group of people that that was their wealth, that was their property. So notice, four or five times where it gets taken. Why? Because once it's been sold or once it's been butchered, you can't get it back. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how serious stealing is. And I want you to understand what's going on. I want you to pay that back with interest. 
Notice verses 3 and 4. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. Why is it not four or five times? Because it's still alive. It can be returned. And when it's returned, along with that, twice the amount of what it's worth. So that whenever you steal, you know you are harming your neighbor, and I want you to understand the gravity of what you're doing, God says. Now, here's what happens most of the time. When we realize we're stealing, we go, okay, God wants me to feel bad. I feel bad. And he says, I don't want you to just feel bad. I don't even want you just to say you're sorry. I want to show you're sorry. And I want you to love your neighbor enough to make it and I'll tell you, you do that a couple times, you go a little slower the next time you think about robbing somebody. You just go, whoa! I read a story of a lady uh, that was, um, a man, excuse me, that was a shoplifter, so he wrote to a department store and said, I've just become a Christian and can't sleep at night because I feel guilty. So here's $100 that I owe you. Then he signs his name, and with a little postscript at the bottom, he adds, P.S., if I can't sleep, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> Is that restitution, friends? Is that really changing your mind? Is it more about feeling guilt or is it more about loving your neighbor? God says, no, no, no. You, I, I'm not just saying don't steal to make you feel lousy. I'm saying it because I, I appreciate you and I appreciate your neighbor and I want to protect the property because there's dignity involved in that and it'll make you smaller, not just bad when you steal. It'll make you a smaller person. Don't go there. Come on, I want you to be free. And so rationalizing. Here's the rub, friends. <clears throat> Even as I've been reading those things, if you've had happen to you what happened to me, your mind starts getting real busy. First thought goes is, uh-oh. The next thought that goes across the tick of your mind is, uh, what do I do now? Or rationalizing starts to happen. Oh, come on, you know. And we start playing these games with ourselves. I wrote down some of the ways I've rationalized. Let me just read a few. See if those ever go through your mind. Maybe they're going through your mind right now. It's okay as long as I don't get caught. I mean, as long as nobody knows, it doesn't hurt anybody, does it? Everybody's doing it. At least everybody I know seems to be okay with it. It's not really that bad. It's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. I mean, I'm not like robbing a bank. They won't miss it. They don't need it. They have enough already. It won't hurt just this once. I deserve it. I work hard and I don't feel appreciated. They don't treat me very well. I'll pay it back later. It's not stealing. I'm just borrowing. If I come clean, I'll probably lose my job. Or I will be humiliated or ruined. And then what? That's too much for God to ask. Surely he wouldn't ask me to do such a thing, would he? I can't afford to make things right now. All those things may go through your mind, and when those happen, what we do with our rationalizing at that point is huge. That's why I want you to turn with me to Luke 19 and see how Jesus takes us from the trap of rationalizing and he sets us free.
Okay? So Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Let me walk through it, and then we'll make a few comments. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. This means that he obviously wasn't planning to stay long. I've often wondered, was the only reason he was passing through is because he had a divine appointment with the guy we're about to read about. Verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Think pyramid scheme. That means underlings who were also tax collectors would give him a cut so he would make even more money. Chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd or Pastor Steve. It's not in there. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you think Zacchaeus thought of himself as a sinner? I'm not sure he did. But everybody else saw. And I'll explain why in just a minute. So he came down at once, I love this next phrase, and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, this is probably later, after their time together, stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back, here's restitution, four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He doesn't mean he just earned salvation. He means salvation is clearly the reason why he's doing this. He already is saved. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're following along, I hope you'll see this, that Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And as a tax collector, he's collected more than required. And in my notes, I have as a chief tax collector, he's collected more than required. As a chief tax collector, he's collected more than required. This requires explanation. You know, the IRS works differently than they did in these days. As a chief tax collector, what we learn is that Rome, who was the ruling power at that time, was ruling Israel. And the way they collected taxes was not to send out their IRS men. Instead, what they did is that they would hire people locally who knew everything about everybody, and it would get them to turn on their own people and use their inside knowledge to collect taxes. And what they would say is this, here's how much is due to Rome. Anything more than that that you can collect is all yours. And so can you imagine when they knew the resources of different people and people hated their guts? Now think about this. This wasn't an oops moment. These people were crooked as the day is long. They believed that property was their identity and they didn't care what was yours. I'm going to make it mine. And so when John the Baptist was baptizing people, I've listed this out to the right. Luke 3.12 says, even tax collectors came to him and wanted to be baptized, and they said, what should we do? And he said, do not collect any more than is required. 
Show that you no longer are ripping people off. That's how you show a change in your life. And so Zacchaeus had gotten wealthy by doing that. He knew exactly what he was doing. But then he meets Jesus. And notice what happens. If you're following along, Jesus helps him see how to love his neighbor now. Jesus helps him see how to love his neighbor now. In other words, I know what you've been doing, Zacchaeus. You've been using your neighbor. You've been robbing your neighbor, your neighbors. And I'm going to show you how you can see differently. I want to ask you a question. There's not even two words about what the conversation was between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Did you notice that? We don't know anything they talked about. So what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus walked into that house of Zacchaeus that day and said, here's why I'm here. You're in trouble and you're a scumbag. You think he did that? Some people think Jesus would probably go, okay, but here's what I do think he said. Zacchaeus, you're doing life all wrong and it's wrecking you and it's wrecking other people and it bothers God and God wants to show you how to look at people, property, and eternity differently. So here's what I want you to see, Zacchaeus. You don't have value because of all your property. You have value because God made you and because he sent the Son of Man to seek and to save what was lost. And if you'll trust in me, I'll show you how to live and see life differently. And I'll show you how to look at property differently. I'll show you how to look at your neighbors differently. I'll show you how to have eternal perspective. You're living on a scratch compared to all eternity. If you'll see property differently, you can actually use it to bless and give dignity to people rather than just feather your own nest. Wow. And Zacchaeus, with Jesus' help, that was a Bible study of his life. And he walked out after being with Jesus and he stood there and said, Behold, here and now, I will now give half my possessions to the poor. I have a heart for the poor. I didn't used to care about people in need. I didn't even think of them. But now I see that I was missing an opportunity. And also, if I've stolen from anybody, if I cheated anybody, defrauded anybody, I will make it right no matter how hard it is, no matter how scary it is, no matter how much I might have to do that, no matter how much time it'll take, I'm going to make it right. Now, I wonder, do you picture him walking out like this with Jesus, with his, you know, finger in his back? He's going, uh, behold, I will now give half my possessions to the poor and I will pay back for No, he was free. Jesus helped him see and he trusted Jesus and he suddenly realized this isn't a restriction, this is a get-to. This is the pathway to freedom. And it leads to this last thing. He's generous and makes things right. Through trusting Jesus, he becomes generous, Zacchaeus does, and he makes things right with the people he's wronged. Wow! Friends, can you imagine what would happen if we leave here today? Being able to see our neighbor like Jesus wants us to see him. If we will walk out of here seeing property rather than something that we need more of in order to define us, we'll see it as an opportunity to bless someone with or to share and even to enjoy ourselves but to see it differently. And what if we saw eternity and said, look, I only got so much time here on earth. 
Why am I hanging on to this stuff thinking it's going to define me better than sharing it? And when people begin to live like that, friends, oh my goodness, what a witness it is to the watching world. Look, I think there was probably some people that went to their graves still mad at Zacchaeus, but they had to hand it to him. He at least made it right. And now it was their issue with God, not their issue with Zacchaeus. And if you and I will take this seriously, it's powerful, so let's just bring this home. If Zacchaeus was standing here right now, and he said, I want to just tell you, here's what Jesus taught me. If you want to know the freedom I've found, here's three things I want to tell you. The first is, he would say, welcome Jesus into your life. Let him lead and help you see. Welcome Jesus into your life. Let him lead and help you see. Maybe you've thought it's all about religion. No, it's Jesus Christ who came to earth as God in human flesh, and he taught the way to live, and then he died on the cross in order to make us right with God and give us a new heart. Then he rose again three days later. He gave us the Holy Spirit, so now his own spirit can live inside of us. He can actually visit your chair right now. He can speak to your heart and mind right where you sit because he's alive. And Zacchaeus is saying, look, just because he's not here physically doesn't mean you can't welcome him in. How do you do that? Come down front after the service and pray with someone. Or you can do it right where you're sitting by yourself. Or you can do it in your car. Or you can do it in your house. Or you can do it when you're walking to work. Friends, you can call on the name of the Lord and he will save you. Because he came to seek and to save what was lost. That's his heart. Can anybody say amen to that? We have a Savior who wants to be the Lord of our lives, and he can do it so much better. Second thing I think Zacchaeus would say is, stop stealing and rationalizing like I did and make restitution. Stop stealing and rationalizing and make restitution. You have no idea, he says, how much better your head will feel on the pillow at night when you get that stuff cleaned up. You will grow in self-respect, people around you, they may think ill of you at first, but they will not be able to explain why your heart had enough courage to make things right with them. They will know that somebody has gotten to you, and his name is Jesus. Because wherever Jesus is invited in, things can never stay the same. They get better. But some of you are going, whoa, thanks for scaring me. You have no idea how many times I've stolen. You have no idea. You're right. It may take time. It may take courage. It may take counsel. It may take a lot of things. Here's the question. What do you want? You want to keep rationalizing? Or do you want to be free? I hold in my hands up here an envelope. This is from a former employer of mine who I robbed. How did I rob him? I did not give him eight hours work or eight hours pay. Many different days that I worked for him. As I was preparing to leave there in the closing weeks of my time there, I was in church one day and the Lord showed me as I was worshiping him, you have robbed him. I said, I don't even know him. He says, I know him. I care about his stuff, and you've robbed him. I want you to make it right. I'm going, rationalize. Push it away. Maybe if I forget about it, boom, boom, boom.
But I talked to my wife, and I realized that my irresponsibility was going to cost her. Like it had cost him. It was going to cost me. And I remember thinking, we don't even make that much money right now. I mean, I can't afford to do this right now. And the Lord said, you can't afford not to. But we talked, and thankfully I had a supportive wife, and we prayed like we were shaken, we were so scared. He showed us this amount. It seemed huge at that time. But I knew exactly what the amount was. And I wrote a letter apologizing to him, telling him exactly what I had done wrong, and asking him if he could possibly forgive me, and that if he felt I needed to do more, I would. And he wrote back this letter. And I will never forget the day I opened this. I was shaking out of my boots. Because you know it's dangerous to do this, isn't it? Dear Jeff, I cannot recall when I was so touched as I was by your example of forthright honesty. I wasn't honest enough, or I wouldn't have done it. This was certainly the act of a true Christian. Last evening, I related your story to our prayer group, omitting your name, and all agreed that you would be profoundly blessed. Jeff, we will accept, and he names the dollar amount that I had sent him, we will accept this amount from you in the spirit that you have given it. However, this is your self-evaluation and not ours of you. You will undoubtedly serve the well, serve the Lord well as a youth pastor. I wish I had the boundary lines right all the time since then. But there's still books I've had to mail back and CDs that I've had to buy, and ways that I have not loved my neighbors. But every time God's shown me, he's shown me to save me, not destroy me, to change me. And he wants to do the same. And you know that every time that a revival is broken out, things have been returned. In one country, they had to build warehouses for all the tools that got brought back. And I want you to imagine what would happen. One pastor put it this way. He says, I challenge you as I've had to challenge myself to take out a pencil and paper and make a list of everything in your possession that is not rightfully yours. List everything you've taken from your place of employment, everything you've borrowed from the shop, everything you've received on loan from your friends and neighbors. Then make a covenant between yourself and God to return everything on your list to its proper owner by the end of the month. Maybe you'll have to pack some things up in a UPS box and send them back to their owner. Perhaps you'll have to send a money order to cover the cost of supplies and articles you've already used, lost or broken. You might want to include a note explaining that you now realize what you did was wrong. You've decided to honor God and cleanse your conscience by admitting your sin and making restitution. Stealing jeopardizes our self-esteem, produces anxiety, and destroys credibility as Christians. But repentance and restitution frees us. So here's the last one. Don't just stop stealing. But now, freely give what you have, especially with those in need. Freely give what you have, especially with those in need. Do you mind taking out these boxes? These uh, boxes from underneath your seat. And if you don't have one right near you, there might be one fairly close. You've got a few others, but if you're not able to pull one out, just listen to me talk here. Inside, trust me on this, inside is information of how you can give to a boy or a girl. Maybe you're not in a position to do this right now, 
just be a receiver then instead of a giver in this moment and know that God loves you. But if you want to give to this or maybe you want to team up with somebody else, then we need these back by next Sunday. We only have one week this year, so it's different. So we'd ask you not to take a box if you can't get it back by next Sunday. Don't take a box unless you're planning to fill it up this week because we need every box. We want to send, I think, all thousand that we have. So just know that, okay? And um, talk to us if we're completely out of boxes, but I know there's some in different rows. But it'll give you instructions of how to do this. And we have been so grateful. And as they shared in the video, what will be included is some literature that will point them to Jesus Christ and how they can grow in a relationship with him through the Bible. But know that this is the gospel, this is the good news in a box. And what happened to the early Christians, like Steve said last week, is they were known for their radical sexual purity and their radical generosity. And these things made all their enemies say, what's happened to them? And the only way they could explain it was, Jesus, Jesus is changing me. He wants to change us. So we talked about prayer. If you need to pray with someone, you can come down front. If you need to sign up for the cherry pie delivery, you can do that out in the lobby to the right. If you're a first-time guest, you can go out to the lobby to the desk at the left. We'd be glad to help you. But what is God asking you to do? Will you do it? Will you rationalize? Or will you make restitution and return? What he's asking you to return and become generous. Let's pray. Now, Lord, I pray that our church family, however we've sinned against you or broken your law, I thank you that you show us not to destroy us, but so that we can be new people with Jesus. And I pray you'll show us how to make things right, whatever it costs, however much time it takes, and that we'll obey you and know the freedom that comes and the self-respect that follows and the blessing to our neighbors that you want us to be. And everyone agree with this prayer and say, amen. God bless you.